Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and read me on Bleacher Report. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear just me talking about what I exclusively feel are the most important or interesting topics in the sports world, primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA on any given day. And that's here. I've been slacking on the podcast front, and for that, I apologize. Combination of appearances on Speak for Yourself, a book I'm writing that has a fast-approaching late-summer deadline, and more frequent assignments by Bleacher Report as a result of not having uh, video and live clips and a variety of other things for content, all of that has kept me busy. Plus, my family added a puppy to our household, and we have an older dog convalescing from surgery. Those two alone feel like a full-time job. There's this too. I don't know about you, but I feel like an engine badly needing new filters and an oil change when it comes to this whole sheltering in place, shutdown, whatever you want to call it. I try to steer away from the political histrionics surrounding the coronavirus while still staying informed, but it hasn't been easy to avoid the former, and the latter is filled with so many ifs and maybes that I feel conflicted about what I really should be doing as a concerned and thoughtful citizen. I wear a mask when I go into a store or place of business, but I don't wear one when I'm just walking the dogs or riding my bike, and I make note of that because I see people doing both. I live on the coast, and all the beach parking lots are closed, and signs saying no parking line all the residential streets near the beach. Clearly, they don't want people parking there, but the beach itself is open, and my son and I have gone surfing at least once or twice a week since the pandemic began with, without incident or anybody stopping us or suggesting that we shouldn't be there. Um, I guess I'm just worn out by the not knowing what correct protocol is. I feel it would be selfish to just exercise my individual freedom if there's a chance it could be causing harm to others in my community, but where do you draw that line? What, what is the right etiquette? 
I watched a rant, a video clip of a rant by uh, Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports the other night about how it's unfair that flattening the curve has somehow turned into finding a cure. That, uh, well, it was an entertaining rant. And, and he made a valid point about how it feels as if they are changing the rules on us midway through the game. Look, I want to rant too. I want this over. I want my kids to go back to school. I want to be able to watch them play their sports. I want to get back to being on the road, digging out stories. I want to be hanging with my friends. I want to go out and have dinner at a restaurant and not think twice about it. But this is what I know about rants. Really good ones are generally short on nuance or they fail to take into account the entire picture. They're they're one-dimensional. They go hard. They're best when they're just a solid, fiery chunk of outrage. Portnoy's right. The rules do seem to be changing. But I'd say that's because what we know about the virus is constantly changing. He made it sound as if the doctors and scientists are screwing with us just because they can. Not that they are learning as they go what works and what doesn't, or that they're having to balance all that with a host of different agendas at work among the people creating the rules. Portnoy is upset at the doctors and scientists who are still hesitant to send everybody running back to their jobs and gyms and restaurants and says it should be up to his choice as to whether he wants to run that risk or not. And I get that. But as I see it, they're just being doctors and scientists who have stared into the beady little eyes of this virus and have come to some understanding of how it operates. And... While I'd love to have the choice of saying I am or am not willing to go back to work or risk uh, me getting sick, I wouldn't just be doing that. I mean, I, I know enough about this to know that anything I do, I don't do unilaterally. I'm affecting not just potentially my family, but everyone and anyone, people that I, I, I may not know. I may not even know what impact I'm having on them. All right. I didn't mean to go that far on that subject. And I'm sure that's not why you came here. But uh, more than anything, I just wanted you to know that if you're feeling worn out by all this, we are brothers in arms. I'm feeling it too. And I hope what turned out to be my little rant uh, didn't compound whatever you're feeling. Now, I've not offered my thoughts on the episodes 5, 6, 7, or 8 on The Last Dance here on the podcast. I have discussed them on Fox Radio and on Speak for Yourself, and a couple of you on social or through social media have said you were really interested in in getting my take on a couple things that have transpired in uh, in, in those episodes. I don't know if I'm going to hit all of the ones that you guys have brought up that you'd like to hear me hit, I will at some point. But uh, I have not been able to get to them on either the TV or radio programs because I don't always get to go where I want to go or have the time to dive as deep as I'd like uh, as, a, as a guest. And there's a lot to unpack from episodes five and six, in part because the storytelling skips around like a pinball. I've been watching with my teenage kids who are not versed in Jordan or the Bulls history. And we've had to pause the TV so I can answer their questions 
at least a half dozen times every episode. Now, some of that is unavoidable in covering a subject in a timeline so vast. But I have to admit, even I at times found myself suffering from a bit of whiplash and confusion trying to keep everything straight. I don't know why they've decided to do this back and forth champion the first championship connected to the fourth championship the fifth championship connected to the second and the sixth to the third i kind of get it i kind of get it from a structure standpoint but i'm not convinced that it necessarily worked in any case if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Rather than offer my take on the basic controversies created or stirred up, Jordan's gambling, Isaiah Thomas's exclusion from the Dream Team, Jordan's refusal to publicly back Harvey Grant in his race with Jesse Helms for a North Carolina Senate seat, I'm going to focus on the parts of all those stories that were lost in the wash and make the heated debate over who was wrong or right a bit secondary. Let's knock out the Jordan's gambling element right from the get-go. Number one, the way they treated it, it was Jordan's opportunity to bash the media for the connection that they made between his gambling and the death of his father. Now that was clearly egregious. It wasn't founded on anything other than suspicion and rumor and connecting dots that shouldn't have been connected in public. Not not with a subject that personal and deep. But nonetheless, the documentary uses that in order to skip the whole subject of Jordan's gambling. He was gambling on everything. There's reason to explore that. And if this was a legitimate documentary... It would have done that. I'm not giving them a pass. I'm not giving him a pass. I don't think it interfered with his his life. Uh, the proof is he was a champion. He became an owner. Like the people that I know that have a gambling problem, uh, they don't have a whole lot of success. The gambling takes over their their lives. Uh, Arch Leister uh, from Ohio State, the quarterback, perfect example. Uh, and he's a high-profile example. So the subject really wasn't addressed. I thought he used it as a vehicle for his own vengeance. Uh, 
but I would like to have better understood what it was that got Jordan, why he needed it. Because it just seems like he had so much else going to give him juice. I, that, that's the part that was not addressed that I wish it had been. Now, Isaiah Thomas not being on the Dream Team. Two items that are important to understand or be reminded of. One, the head coach of the Dream Team was the late Chuck Daly. Do you know what Chuck did in his day job? He coached the Pistons and Isaiah Thomas right up until he became the Dream Team coach and then he moved on to coach the New Jersey Nets. Convenient bit of timing, no, considering Isaiah had, what, two more years as a Piston before retiring? What Chuck said and did at the time, though, speaks volumes. First of all, and none of this was in the, in the documentary, which again, like the fact that they did, they just completely glossed over the fact that Chuck had coached Isaiah all those years. And okay, so Chuck's not around to give his take. Certainly, are we going to ask Isaiah? Are we like, we're not going to even broach that element? Uh, anyway, what Chuck said and did at the time speaks volumes. First of all, he still coached the team, unlike Jack McCloskey, who was the Pistons GM, who resigned from the U.S. Olympic Basketball Committee in protest over Isaiah not being selected. Second, Chuck said that he would have liked three of his players to be selected for the Dream Team. Isaiah, Joe Dumars, and Dennis Rodman. Now think about that. Chuck said he wanted something that he knew would never happen rather than make a case for why Isaiah should have been on the team. Look, that's smooth. And Chuck was and beloved. I mean, he was a, it's a reason why he was Jeff and Stan Van Gundy before Jeff and Stan Van Gundy in terms of a guy that ping-ponged between high-profile jobs, uh, NBA coaching jobs, and working for one of the broadcast partners. He was a storyteller. He was a good dude. He was a great personality. Went way too soon and way too fast. It's smooth, but it's also telling. Look, if I truly go to bat for someone to get a particular job or position, I don't make them part of a multiple choice problem. I don't put their name out there with other candidates. I focus on them. Only them. Chuck didn't do that. And keep in mind, it would be one thing if he was still going to coach the Pistons but he and, and, and put those three names out there, knowing that, hey, I got to take care of my guys. I don't want to leave one guy out. I don't want to you know, stand up for Isaiah at the expense of Dumars or Rodman. He didn't have that pressure on him. He could have easily simply gone to bat for Isaiah. But he didn't do that. Here's the other element that's lost in the sauce. Everybody's giving more meaning to the dream team tag than it deserves. It doesn't mean they were the best players in the league at that time, or of all time, or even of that era. Don't forget, Christian Leitner, out of Duke, but not quite yet a Timberwolf, had one of the coveted 12 spots. Why? 
this is the tell on this whole thing. Marketing. That's why. He was the biggest college star coming out of the biggest, most renowned, globally recognized college basketball program. The entire team was a global marketing ploy for the NBA. Here's a trivia question for you. What was Isaiah's signature shoe? It was the Asics Gel Spotlight. Excuse me, Spotlight. You didn't even know Asics made a hoop shoe, did you? I didn't. What were his major endorsements? Now remember, this is a two-time champion, collegiate winner at Indiana with Bobby Knight, a man with a stunning smile, well-spoken, bubbly personality, but not the least bit marketable at all, despite all that. No national endorsement deals that I can think of. He also didn't make any of the all-NBA teams in the 91-92 season. You know who else didn't? Magic and Larry Bird. You know who did? Tim Hardaway and John Stockton, second team, as the guards. Kevin Johnson and Mark Price, third team. A Piston did make the third team, but it was Dennis Rodman. Also not marketable. Truth is, Magic and Bird were well past their prime. But again, because this was about marketing, as much as building a team that would destroy the competition and restore the luster of the NBA, which also is part of the marketing element, needed to reestablish the NBA as the best league in the world, that the basketball in America as the best basketball in the world, you needed to have Bird and Magic on the team. Even though Bird didn't play a whole lot, Magic obviously passed his prime. Those weren't players that the team relied on. Malone, Drexler, Jordan, these were guys that were in their prime. So, I've read where Isaiah should have got Stockton's spot because he was the superior player. Not in 92 he wasn't. And it's disputable that he was ever flat out better. They were so different. I mean, truly different. Was Isaiah a better scorer? For sure. Better passer? I don't think so. Better defender? Stockton was second team all defense five times. Isaiah never made an all defensive team. Now, had a couple of all-star MVPs, obviously won championships, finals MVP, uh, his uh, his resume is stronger than Stockton's. I'm not arguing that. But we've kind of made this dream team idea into these are the greatest players of all time or at that time. or It's kind of a bullyubase, right? It wasn't any of those things. It was the most marketable, big name team that they could put together. You really wanted to go at people. You would have had Hardaway or Kevin Johnson or Mark Price, all of those guys. You could make an argument deserve to be on that team. As crazy as it sounds, ahead of Magic or Bird. But nobody would do that. Why? Well, because they could play at that point as much as how marketable they were in just having them there. 
So the argument that Isaiah somehow was not a great player because he wasn't on the dream team is false. There's not an equivalence there. As is the idea that only the league's greatest players were on it. All of which is why this, air quotes, controversy has run way too hot and gone on way too long. Because it's misdirected. I have to understand what the dream team really was and what it was about to understand why the decision of keeping Isaiah Thomas off wasn't this egregious thing or it's Jordan with a a vendetta. It didn't make sense by the people that were running the show. Now, were there guys on the team that didn't really, weren't really feeling Isaiah? Yeah, probably. But, I don't know, Jordan really wasn't a big Clyde Drexler fan either. Didn't keep him off the team. Or they didn't keep him off the team. So, again, just feel like that whole subject was misguided. And the doc did nothing to try to straighten that out. The other big controversy involves Jordan's refusal to publicly stump for Harvey Gant, a black man who ran for Jesse Helms' North Carolina Senate seat in 1990. I believe Gant was the first black mayor of Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken. And he was attempting to be the first black senator from North Carolina. Now, Gant being black and Helms being viewed as a racist by some, maybe most, translated into Jordan, North Carolina native, betraying his race by not publicly campaigning for Gant. Although Jordan apparently did make a campaign contribution. And if that sounds kind of harsh, I mean, isn't that really what it was? Jordan was black. Jordan was from North Carolina. Jordan didn't support, publicly support, the black candidate. Therefore, he was betraying his people. There are three comments that make this an absolute nothing burger for me. And please, my listeners who happen to be black or a minority, save your you wouldn't understand because you are white rhetoric. Privileged white, whatever. This is what I understand and believe. The color of a man's skin doesn't determine his character. Meaning, Jordan has no more obligation to blindly support a black man than I do to support a white one. Jesse Helms wasn't just anti-black. He seemed to be anti-everything. At least you knew where he stood. He was also, for those who care, tremendous as the head of the Senate's Foreign Relations Committee. I know when you have somebody who's a racist or appears to be racist or whatever you want to, however you want to label Jesse Helms, and I'm not Jesse Helms, and I don't want to minimize who or what he was, but let's just look at what he was in his entirety as a senator. And here's my point. Just because Gantt was black didn't automatically make him a better choice or a choice Jordan had to get behind. Why? Because of this comment. I don't know the man. That's what Jordan said about Gant. Now, could he have done the research? Sure. Would that assure he knew who Gant would be when he got into office? Or that he'd be able to make any progress on the social service issues that Helms relentlessly killed? No. He would have been a freshman senator. I don't know how much juice he would have had to get anything done. Nonetheless, I ask you, how much research are you doing on 
your elected officials before you vote for them. Let's be fair. We're asking, I don't care who it is. There's celebrity, non-celebrity, average guy on the street. We should have the same expectations for all of us when it comes to picking our public servants. Now, second comment that seals it for me, and this is from Gant, who says he never even thought of asking Jordan to campaign for him and isn't sure it would have made a difference in the outcome anyway. Now, and remember, this is a 20-something Jordan. Hadn't yet won a championship. So, very realistic. And is living in Chicago, having all the success back there. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how much of an impact that Jordan would have had on Gant's race. There's this too. Gant is a season ticket holder of the Charlotte Hornets as of like right now, the team that Jordan owns. And Gant says that should tell you something. Now, the third comment, that's mine, which is this. Who or what an athlete or a celebrity or any figure you admire supports shouldn't matter as much as why they support it and whether you agree with that. Blaming Jordan for Gant losing neatly takes all the people in North Carolina who didn't vote or didn't vote for him off the hook. And that's just, that's just way too easy. And on that uplifting kumbaya note, I'm going to wrap here because I have to get back to working on that book as well as figuring out what my next Bleacher Report project should be. Uh, By the way, look for the latest one on the app or the website. Should be dropping anytime now. It's a piece where executives and coaches in today's NBA imagine what kind of player Michael Jordan would be in today's game the challenges he'd face and who his ideal running mates would be. And uh, you'll, you'll be interested in that. They, they give who they think would be good next to Michael Jordan and who would be not good. And they're specific. They name names. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It uh, is a benefit. We don't obviously charge for the podcast. It's free content. But the ratings and the reviews do help us with sponsors and advertisers. In the next podcast, I will go through episodes 7 and 8, as well as 9 and 10 of The Last Dance, and try to give you the same unique, not heard anywhere else, insight and perspective that I tried to give you here on 5 and 6. And I'll also go through the social media feed to see if there's anything in there that uh, from five and six that you wanted answered that I did not. I know there's two elements there. The one that I think was just terrible that they did not uh, ultimately uh, continue on. And this is actually from episode seven was the fact that uh, that Jordan, it ends with Jordan kind of getting emotional over the fact that his teammates may not have liked him. And he says cut, and they leave it there, and they never come back to it. Man, are you kidding me? Raised a lot of questions for me. I also may recruit one of my kids 
to talk about their perspective of the documentary just because I find it interesting to see and hear it through someone who was not alive when all of that happened. They're both they're both hoopers and both been fascinated with it. So anyway, that's for then. For now, please stay safe, stay sane, and as always, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 